Earth is pressing against us, trapping us in the final passage. To pass through, we pull off our limbs. Earth is squeezing us. If only we were its wheat, we might die and yet live. If only it were our mother, so that she might temper us with mercy. If only we were pictures of rocks held in our dreams like mirrors. We glimpse faces in their final battle for the soul of those who will be killed by the last living among us. We mourn their children's feast. We saw the faces of those who would throw our children out of the windows of this last space, a star to burnish our mirrors. Where should we go after the last border? Where should birds fly after the last sky? Where should plants sleep after the last breath of air? We write our names with crimson mist. We end the hymn with our flesh. Here we will die. Here in the final passage. Here or there, our blood will plant olive trees. Hello and welcome to Words That Burn, the podcast taking a closer look at poetry. This week's poem is one shining a light on the oppression and desperation of immigrants fleeing conflict. Mahmoud Derwish's Earth Presses Against Us comes from his 1986 collection, Fewer Roses. If you spend any time looking for poetry on the internet, as I do, you may have heard snippets of Darwish's love poetry, and this may have been your first introduction to him, as it was for me. Snippets like, They asked, Do you love her to death? I said, Speak of her over my grave, and watch how she brings me back to life. These snippets are littered about the internet, and are actually very difficult to concretely attribute to Darwish. In thinking of him as a love poet, I think we do Darwish a great disservice. During his lifetime, Mahmoud Darwish was arguably Palestine's most important poet, constantly writing on and around the oppression taking place in his home country. Over time, it has been argued that he was the most formative in terms of helping Palestinians form and maintain their identities in the face of active attempts by other forces to erase it. The language of oppression is clear from the poem I've chosen for this week's episode. Darwesh used it fluently because he was forced to live it. Mahmoud Darwesh was born in 1941 in the Palestinian village of al If you were to look for it today, you'd find it impossible to find, because in 1948 it was demolished by Israeli forces. At the age of eight, Darwesh became a refugee of that erasure and subsequent conflict. Over the next few years, Derwish would frequently try to grieve this loss of his home through poetry. This made him the frequent target of Israeli police, who believed him to be an agitator, even as a child and young man. This is a label that would follow him for the rest of his life and force him to move frequently from place to place. In the 1970s, Derwish began what would become a lifelong exile, traveling the world in search of refuge and people that would listen to him when he spoke of Palestine. His work became a documentation of this struggle. This poem struck me as a summation of the sheer emotional turmoil that an endless exile like that might take on a person, not only on Derwish himself, but also on hundreds of thousands of other Palestinians that were in a similar position to him. The weight of his significance in documenting and cataloguing that pain 
was evidenced in the massive crowds he drew when speaking and reciting poetry. He was noted as a powerful orator, a man who delivered his poetry with great passion and was able to command the attention of an entire stadium at times. Nigerian poet and playwright Wole Sayinka wrote of one of his recitals. Then came silence. Mahmoud Derwish began to read. We did not know a word of Arabic, but we heard his voice reach out and sink deep down to pluck the strings of the Palestinian soul. That plucking of strings is a characteristic of Darwish's poetry. In this poem, Darwish's words are filled with solidarity as he describes what they are all fleeing. Before we get into analysing the poem, I should note two things. Number one, I have broken the poem into three sections for easier analysis. And number two, this is a poem in translation by Munir Akash and Caroline Forche. It comes from their collection in collaboration with Derwish himself, unfortunately. Before diving into the poem, I have a favour to ask. If you enjoy this podcast regularly, or even if this is your first time listening and you're enjoying it now, please consider leaving me a review wherever you listen. It really does help to get the podcast out to more people. Here is the first section. Earth is pressing against us, trapping us in the final passage. To pass through, we pull off our limbs. Earth is squeezing us. If only we were its wheat, we might die and yet live. If only it were our mother, so that she might temper us with mercy. If only we were pictures of rocks held in our dreams like mirrors. There is an immediate sense of suffocation in that first line. Pressure is there, and we know from the word trapped that there is little chance of escape. The speaker's choice of first word, earth, makes it clear that they are not fleeing any kind of human enemy, but it feels as though the earth itself has turned against them. Derwish makes it clear from his use of the word us, this is, unfortunately, a shared experience. The second line, though short, is jarring, and gives an immediate sense of the desperation felt by the group of this poem. We pull off our limb. This gross act of self-mutilation is a testament to the lengths that this group, whom we can safely assume are a stand-in for Palestinians as a whole, will go to to survive and escape their persecution. The massive enemy of the earth returns again, this time adding to the pressure by squeezing. Whereas in the first line, pressing might be something accidental or coincidental. Derwish's use of the word squeezing makes it clear that this time the pressure is very much intentional. What comes next is an image typical of Derwish's work, all at once symbolic yet relatable. If only we were its wheat, we might die and yet live. He references something that takes well to pressure, wheat, giving up one form only to be renewed in another, bread. Unfortunately, in the speaker scenario, there is no such hope for renewal. It can only end one way. The poet continues this series of if-only statements, each one wishing for any set of circumstances but the ones they are forced to endure. If only it were our mother, so that she might temper us with mercy. If the earth were maternal, as it is so often depicted, they would at least receive some kind of kindness in their pain, some sort of let-up in their punishment. The next image took me a while to decipher, and I have to admit that this is only my best guess. If only we were pictures of rocks 
held in our dreams like mirrors. Rocks or stones are the most crucial image here. Academic Kamal Zaidan has written at length about the importance of symbols in forging Palestinian identity. Here is their writing on the importance of stones in that task. The stone gained a place in Palestinian thinking since the beginning of the first uprising in 1987. This uprising was a kind of national revolution against occupation where the stone was the new rifle that the Palestinian used to defend their land and get their freedom. For that reason, the revolution was named the Uprising of Stones. Since that time, the stone has become a symbol of resistance and revolution. Many of the Palestinian artists started using the symbol to refer to these meanings. This consistent depiction of the stone is what's being referenced here. It is a symbol of resistance. The hope that something small can affect great change. Perhaps Darwish hopes that this group can do the same. I would love to hear your own interpretations for this line. You can find a link to get in touch with me in the description. These three, if only, statements are a good introduction to a staple of Darwish's poetic style, repetition. This was one of Darwish's tried and tested techniques. Gentle, insistent repetition can be found in much of his poetry. Refrains and callbacks at the beginning and end of poems, repeated lines like we see here, it is helpful to remember that in much of the Arabic tradition of poetry, speaking poetry out loud was essential, and Darwish truly believed this. His repetition was a way to bring his audience along with him, rhythmically lulling them into the poem's meaning, so much so that sometimes his readings were compared to hypnosis. Though this feels vaguely orientalist to me, so take it with a pinch of salt. In the next section, the humble resistance of the rock evolves into something else. We glimpse faces in their final battle for the soul. Of those who will be killed by the last living among us, we mourn their children's feast. We saw the faces of those who would throw our children out of the windows of this last space. A star to burnish our mirrors. This section is a list of observations in the midst of fleeing. Our speaker notes the expressions of those pursuing, faces in their final battle for the soul. For me, Darwish is describing their perceived enemy. Those who seek their eradication, in this case, I can only imagine it to be Israeli forces. The final battle for the soul described by the poet is a loss of morality. The loss that is almost necessary to carry out the violence against our speaker. This observation of the oppressor continues with of those who will be killed by the last living among us. There are hints of resistance in these lines too. The last living among us are those who will resist most ferociously and may well murder some of those who seek to murder them. Their children's feast is a reference to what will be left for the families of those slain. There is a huge amount of empathy in these lines shown by Darwish for his enemy. He understands that this culture of violence and eradication takes a toll on both sides. He was well known in his lifetime for aiming his anger at regimes and political institutions, as opposed to races or individual people. Whilst exercising some empathy for them, Darwish makes it clear that he is aware of the immense threat these pursuers represent. We saw the faces of those who would throw our children out of the windows of this last space. These are forces that will think nothing of harming innocents to achieve their goal. This last space is a reference to how far they've been forced to run. It is the ends of the earth, that same earth that now presses down upon them. 
in the use of the word glimpse and the subsequent barrage of brief images. This section of the poem is given a real sense of hurriedness. We feel the rapid movement of these people, their inability to slow down or simply wait. The section ends with the phrase, a star to burnish our mirrors. This is the second time that Darwish has mentioned mirrors in the poem. Mirrors frequently appear in Arabic poetry as powerful symbols with multiple layers of meaning. They are often used to reflect on personal and collective experiences, memory and the complexities of existence. One of the ways they're most commonly used is as a symbol to examine identity and exile. Given this episode's poem, that would be the most fitting interpretation here. As a Palestinian poet who experienced displacement and exile, Darwish's poetry often touched upon the theme of identity. Mirrors may represent the search for a coherent sense of self amid the turmoil of exile, and the desire to connect with a lost homeland and heritage. The glimpses of the faces of their enemies burnish their mirrors, encouraging the group to continue searching for that sense of identity. This relentless search is exhausting, and the final section sees the poet direct a series of questions to his reader. Where should we go after the last border? Where should birds fly after the last sky? Where should plants sleep after the last breath of air? We write our names with crimson mist. We end the hymn with our flesh. Here we will die. Here, in the final passage. Here or there, our blood will plant olive trees. Darwish's hypnotic repetition returns as the reader is confronted with three poetic but challenging questions. They are deceptively simple questions in their language. Their implication only heightens the desperation underlying all of the speaker's points. The language used is there to let us know that this group's time is running out. After the last border. That last border has a note of finality attached to it. The speaker turns to talk of animals. Where should birds fly after the last sky? The absurdity of the statement, how could there be any such thing as a last sky, heightens the inherent absurdity of borders. It is just as strange to think that there is nowhere left for humans, and all this on the basis of a man-made construct. The final rhetorical question, where should plants sleep after the last breath of air, is a fatalistic one. It is inconceivable that the world might run out of air. And yet for the speaker, it seems at this moment to be a very real prospect. Each of these questions is a testament to the dire straits and circumstances that not only Palestinian, but all immigrants find themselves in when forced to flee or emigrate. To many of us, these questions may seem extreme or sensationalist. And yet for many others, they painfully resonate. That pain is given form as Derwish turns yet again to the language of mutilation, glimpsed in the second line of the poem. We write our names with crimson mist. Their defiance and will for recognition and identity persists, even as they are being torn apart. The term crimson mist has become synonymous with uncontrollable rage and anger, though usually we find it under the name red mist. This could be in reference to the anger of the oppressor or the anger of the oppressed. Though in this poem, I feel it references something else, which is quite often called 
pink mist, this image would be altogether more macabre. Pink mist is the phrase often used to describe the impact of a bullet hitting a living target by soldiers. It describes the spray in the wake of a bullet. The destruction of the body is continued with, we end the hymn with our flesh. And just like that, we understand this entire poem has been a prayer of sorts, a kind of beseechment to divine power that has only ended in their sacrifice. Or the end of the hymn is the end of a life because life is a sacred thing. The fatalism of the poem reaches a crescendo in the final two lines. Here we will die. Here in the final passage, here or there, our blood will plant olive trees. The final passage is the last journey of these people. Their fate now a certainty. Derwish does not leave their hymn without hope, however. The final line invokes one more important image of Palestine. The olive tree. The olive tree has grown into a nationalist symbol in Palestine over the last few decades, with its use becoming particularly prominent in art. When asked about the significance of the tree, Palestinian painter Sliman Mansour said, It represents the steadfastness of the Palestinian people, who are able to live under difficult circumstances. In the same way the trees can survive and have deep roots in their land, so too do the Palestinian people. Derwish himself evidently agreed with this perspective, as in 1964 he wrote an entire collection titled Leaves of the Olive Tree, in which he wrote, Olive is an evergreen tree. Olive will stay evergreen, like a shield for the universe. This perspective on the eternal aspect of the olive tree is clearly being used again at the end of this poem. Once more, bodies are being sacrificed, and this time it is blood that is being offered up, though not willingly. The only solace our speaker can draw is that their death will water the land of Palestine, making trees grow where they lie. They may end here with the earth pressed against them, but the dream of reclaimed Palestine and Palestinian identity will continue. Earth Presses Against Us is a poem of persecution, one that is steeped in the imagery of Palestine. It was written by arguably Palestine's most famous poet. Despite that, its themes are universal and can be seen in the plight of all refugees, even today. For me, it creates a devastatingly claustrophobic account of a life being hunted, of days filled with never-ending uncertainty, and hours marked in pure desperation. It can be all too easy to see immigrants as statistics and figures, especially when the majority of our exposure to them is reported objectively through news cycles. But in this poem, Mahmoud Derwish makes it impossible not to feel the pain of a people. Esteemed poet Naomi Shahab Nye once wrote, Mahmoud Derwish is the essential breath of the Palestinian people, the eloquent witness of exile and belonging. What he speaks has been embraced by readers around the world. His is an utterly necessary voice, unforgettable once discovered. His necessary voice, as she puts it, is also the thing that ensures that we as an audience do not forget the plight of those forced to flee a home, and that is what made him truly essential. Mahmoud Derwish sadly passed away in 2008. What did you think 
of the poem. I'd like to point out, as always, that this is my interpretation. And I'd love to hear yours too. You can get in touch with me in a few different ways. Send me an email at wordsthatburnpodcast at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at wordsthatburnpodcast or on Twitter at wordsthatburn. If you enjoyed today's episode or know someone else who might, please consider sharing it with them directly. The script for today's episode can be found at the Substack link below, complete with references and citations to all research made. Words That Burn is written and produced by me, Benjamin Colopy.